This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 32. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's podcast is a Lessons from the Front Lines episode, where we shine the spotlight on a new court ruling that has significant implications in the context of pretrial depositions. Today's case spotlights a federal district judge's ruling just two days ago, uh, March 15, 2021, in the Eastern District of Pennsylvania, where the judge ruled that an agreement by the lawyers to the usual stipulations, generally understood to be an agreement between lawyers in depositions that objections other than to form will be held until trial, did not relieve the defense lawyer in that case of the obligation to stop his witness from revealing privileged attorney-client information. The judge in that case said that although the deposition was conducted under a usual stipulations agreement, he could find no decision holding that this type of agreement to refrain from objections during depositions applies to privilege objections. Put another way, the usual stipulations agreement does not relieve a lawyer of the obligation to instruct witnesses not to answer questions that call for privileged information or to stop witnesses mid-answer when the witness appears to be revealing privileged information on their own. Now, this case, the Schaefer case, only involved the attorney-client privilege, but obviously the same rule applies to the patient-physician privilege, spousal privilege, legislative privilege, deliberative privilege, and any other privilege recognized in your jurisdiction. You can't let that go without instructions or halting the witness midstream. Now, I don't know the lawyers in the Schaefer case, but I suspect that this issue is one that arises most commonly with less experienced litigators. I know of no truly experienced trial lawyer that would sit there and allow a witness to reveal privileged information under any circumstances and regardless of the stipulation. So it's something you've got to think about as you go into depositions. You've still got to assert your privilege objections. You can't let that stuff come out. In this particular decision, the judge said, the lawyer should have instructed the witness not to answer. And even absent an immediate instruction to the witness not to answer the question, once the witness began answering and it became apparent that the witness was revealing privileged information, the judge says, the lawyer should have instructed the witness to stop answering once she began discussing the contents of her privileged call with a lawyer. So let's just dig into this case. It's Schaefer, S-H-A-F-F-E-R versus Pensbury School District just for a minute. You'll find the citation in the show notes. The Schaefer case is a lawsuit by a school principal alleging that he was retaliated against by his employer school district after he filed a complaint of discrimination with the EEOC alleging that he was treated differently based on sexual identity. Now, the lawsuit was filed in 2020 and it's still pending, so keep that in mind. There may be an appeal involving this ruling or other rulings in the case now or later, so the ruling we're talking about today may not be the final word. But either way, Schaefer's lawyer apparently learned in this case that a school board member, while giving her deposition in a different earlier lawsuit, had revealed confidential attorney-client conversations that took place during executive sessions of the school board. So what does Schaefer's lawyer do? Probably what anyone would do. He serves a request for production to the school board saying, I want the deposition transcript in that prior case where the school board member revealed confidential, privileged attorney-client information. School board in turn dutifully serves up the transcript, but redacted 45 excerpts on the grounds of attorney-client privilege. Now, it appears that Schaefer's lawyer may have suspected that many of the redactions just weren't covered by the privilege, 
even if it was an executive session of the board. Not everything that a lawyer discusses is protected by the privilege. Sometimes just discussing business matters is outside the scope of the privilege. But Schaefer's lawyer evidently took the position that even if some of the things that were redacted did fall within the attorney-client privilege, that the school board had nonetheless waived the privilege by allowing the school board member to testify in that prior lawsuit about privileged matters. So the federal judge in this case says, give me an unredacted version of the transcript for an in-camera review, along with a privilege log explaining exactly how each of the 45 excerpts are protected by the privilege. What happens next? Well, the judge looks at the transcripts and concludes there was a complete waiver of all of the privileged testimony in the school board member's deposition. And here's how he reached that conclusion. First, the judge runs through the federal privilege rule, that's Federal Rule of Evidence 502, and says, as a basic principle of privilege law, not every conversation where a lawyer is present is privileged. The conversation may involve ordinary business advice or business operations or maybe just ordinary facts. So there's no surprises there. The cases are plenty where judges have said that the attorney-client privilege is to be narrowly construed. And the judge here says, while the school board member who revealed privileged matter in her deposition herself did not have the legal power to waive the attorney-client privilege because the privilege exists between the lawyer and the school board itself as a whole, the judge said that the board's lawyer, as the agent for the board, clearly had the power to waive the privilege, either intentionally or inadvertently. So the judge looks at that transcript from the prior deposition, and here's what he said. First, it's clear that the school board's lawyer in the deposition at issue did not intentionally waive the privilege. It wasn't a strategy or a tactic. The lawyer just hadn't taken steps to stop the witness from revealing privileged information. Now, the federal judge, Gerald McHugh, said that when it was clear that the witness was being asked questions that squarely called for attorney-client privileged information, the lawyer should have instructed the school board member not to answer the question. And when the board member was simply blurting out privileged matter on her own, the judge said, the lawyer should have stopped the witness mid-answer. So Judge McHugh says, for example, when counsel for the plaintiff in the prior case asked directly about the nature of the discussion in executive session, that's privileged conversation, and the school district's counsel should have instructed the board member not to respond. Similarly, he should have instructed the board member to stop answering when she began discussing the contents of a phone call with the school district's lawyer. Judge McHugh also said that even though the lawyers had agreed to the usual stipulations, that didn't relieve the school board's lawyer from the obligation to instruct the witness not to answer, either before the witness responded or mid-answer. So that's a critical point. And as a footnote here, this notion of the usual stipulations may be a common and casual agreement at the start of many depositions, but it has its risks. Unless you're in a jurisdiction where the rules spell out what that means, it's hard to say what you've just agreed to. The usual stipulations? Does that mean you don't have to make any objections at all? What exactly does it mean in your deposition between you and the opposing counsel? Now, commonly, the use of the term the usual stipulations can mean all objections except as to the form of the question or answer are reserved until trial. But who knows? So if you're asked to agree to the usual stipulations at the start of one of your depositions, 
be sure to ask for the stipulations to be spelled out individually, one by one, on the record, so you know what you've agreed to. What do I do? Well, if I'm taking depositions, I generally want the opposing lawyer to make objections rather than allow them to save them until later, because I want to find out right then, as I'm asking the questions, what I might need to correct. Legitimate objections, properly made, will often inform the way I'm asking questions. So agreeing to allow an opposing lawyer to hold off on objections until trial can leave me in a bad spot in the courtroom as I try to read testimony from the deposition and I start getting bombed with objections I can't now fix. I'm stuck. Now, if I'm defending a deposition, stipulations to hold off on objections like hearsay might put me in the driver's seat at trial as I launch all of the objections I didn't have to make, I was relieved from making because of the usual stipulations in the deposition itself. And by the way, as a footnote here, I also generally do not agree, and I know I'm getting a little far afield here, to standing objections. If you're going to render one of my questions and the answer a nullity with a proper objection, I want you to do it by making an objection to that question at the time I ask it. A standing objection relieves the opposing lawyer of the obligation to pay attention and can nullify many of my questions later, again, when I can't fix them. All right, back to the Schaefer case. So the judge says the lawyer should have done something, should have made some effort to stop the deponent from revealing privileged information. And by the way, this rule extends to third-party deponents as well, people you don't represent who may possess and who might reveal privileged information. Judge McHugh cites a case out of the Northern District, California, and I've got that in the show notes. It's the Perignon case, where the court there held that a lawyer's failure to instruct a third-party deponent not to respond to a question that would have elicited privileged communications resulted in a waiver of the privilege. So what's the rule here? Obviously, you have to speak up. And one last point. Even if a lawyer has done nothing during the deposition to block the disclosure of privileged information, perhaps by inadvertence or just sheer negligence, it still may not be too late. Judge McHugh in the Schaefer case says, if somehow you've let privileged information out of the bag, you've got to then take reasonable steps to prevent disclosure, including steps to fix the error. Now in Schaefer, there appeared to have been no action taken by the school board's lawyer after the depositions to assert privilege, such as filing a protective order or some other papers. So nothing during the deposition, nothing in follow-up afterwards. Let's close with a couple of observations. First, no matter what, if your deponent or the deponent is being asked to reveal privileged information or is on their own revealing privileged information, no matter what your agreements are about holding off on objections, you've got to assert the privilege in the deposition as it happens. Whether it's attorney-client, psychotherapist patient, doctor-patient, priest-parishioner, spousal, whatever it is, you can't hold off. Even if you've got an aggressive deponent who just doesn't seem to get it, you've got to proactively stop the flow of privileged testimony. And that's because you are the agent for the party or the deponent. So you can waive the privilege inadvertently, or as we sometimes whisper in the legal profession, negligently. Second, you can protect the information during the deposition two ways. One, by the instruction not to answer before the witness responds, or two, by halting the response midstream. Speak right up. 
if the witness appears to be volunteering privileged information unexpectedly. And then there's really the third way, which is by acting swiftly post-deposition to preserve the privilege by filing the appropriate papers with the court. All right, third point to ponder here is that the scope of the waiver will depend on whether your judge finds that the waiver was intentional or inadvertent. If the waiver appears intentional under Rule 502, well, then the waiver could go beyond the actual answers in the deposition and extend to other documents or information that was not revealed if the answers given and the undisclosed communications or information are about the same issue or substance and they ought to be considered together. In today's case, the waiver caused by the failure to object could have extended to attorney-client memos, summaries, reports, and all kinds of things. In fact, Schaefer's lawyer demanded far more than just the transcript and wanted other documents, including notes from the privileged meetings as well, arguing that the waiver was intentional. Fourth, keep in mind that a waiver, like the one here, is complete for all purposes. In other words, the school board, having waived the attorney-client privilege in the prior lawsuit, could not reassert the privilege in the Schaefer case, the subsequent lawsuit. The privilege was waived, and so it was waived for all purposes. In fact, Judge McHugh cited a case for the proposition that there's no such thing as selective waiver. In other words, the school board couldn't come in and say, well, yeah, we waived privilege in the prior discrimination lawsuit, but we've upped our game here. We're a little bit sharper now, and now we're going to assert the privilege fully here as to that testimony. No, it's gone. I've included that case reference in the show notes on the notion that you can't let the privilege go in one case and reassert it off and on like a light switch later down the road. Privilege is like hair and money. Once it's gone, it's gone. <laughs> in Schaefer, the judge said politely, he found that the waiver was not intentional. He did refrain from describing the waiver as negligent or even inadvertent, so he didn't say what the waiver was, but he did say what it wasn't. It was not an intentional waiver. And so the result of that finding was that he limited the impact of the waiver to the deposition transcript alone. In other words, Schaefer's lawyer could not get notes and other documents from the otherwise privileged executive session at the school board. But if you're sitting in a deposition and you're allowing the deponent to give away the farm in terms of privileged information, there may be circumstances where a judge might find that your waiver was intentional. The judge might look at your absence of objection, notwithstanding very clearly privileged testimony, and may find that that was a strategy or tactic. And if the judge thinks under Rule 502 or your analog state rule that the waiver was intentional, your client might wind up having to turn over all kinds of privileged documents and information that could cost you the outcome. So keep that in mind. And be sure to instruct your junior associates about that as well. You may send younger lawyers, less experienced litigators to a deposition, and you may find that they're a little shy about questioning the usual stipulations thing. Maybe they think it will betray their lack of experience, so they just go with the flow. Maybe they think they understand what usual stipulations means and that it relieves them of the obligation to make any objections. That can be fatal to your case and certainly to your relationship with your client. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And once again, a special thank you and shout out to everyone who's taken the time to leave us a five-star review on one of the many sites where our podcast can be found. These episodes take a great deal of time in research and resources to put together. And those reviews are a great way to show us a little love 
and keep us motivated. Have a great day.